all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant they have made and boldly confess him as Lord and Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, greetings to those present and those online. Uh, we are in a series as a church uh, that is walking through the entirety of the scriptures over the course of one year. And we, we've seen in the last <clears throat> six weeks, well, apparently I'm moved by it. <clears throat> in the last six weeks, um, we've seen the fall, the rise and the fall of the kingdom of Israel. And in the midst of that falling, what we've seen is that God's been raising up prophets, prophets who are coming to call the people of God back to him. And they're doing so by, by talking about the coming judgment that's going to unfold for the rebellion that the, both Israel and Judah are living out. They're articulating the reality of what it might look like for hope to be restored through restoration to come. Joel is one of those prophetic voices. One of those quick books, quick read, one day, three chapters. But amidst the warnings and the judgments and the hope that Joel brings out, he, he, he brings about the following like earth-shattering picture of what is to come, a promise from God. So read with me from Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. My sons, sorry, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall, not be, shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Joel says. Now, the spirit being given and prophesied happened, of course, in Ezekiel, happens in, in Jeremiah and Isaiah also. But in particular here, there's, there's a clear sense of promise in Joel's words. He says, it shall come to pass. This will happen. Now, if you're in Israel in those days, there's not a lot of hope. To hear the voice of Joel saying, this will come to pass. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now in this prophecy, we see two important elements, things that are coming with the arrival of this spirit. First of all, we see God calling it my spirit. He says, this is my spirit, not a spirit. This is personal. God's very own spirit, God's power in action. In the Old Testament, but also in the new, the spirit of God is always the work of God changing things. And what he gives is visions, dreams, prophecies to people. He's giving the knowledge of the Lord. He's awakening to reality in the way that points to the and presses in towards God. 
This arrival of his spirit was to elicit a response to God by his people. A knowledge of God that was to be manifested in faith and in repentance and obedience and righteousness and an openness to what God was going to be doing and instructing and a communion with him in prayer and praise. And so there's his spirit, it belongs to God. It's, it's personal, but it's also coming on all flesh, he says. Everyone is eligible. Everyone is eligible. When this happens, all the people will possess the knowledge of God that was previously only experienced primarily through prophets and priests sometimes and sometimes kings. But here we see sons and daughters, men and women alike, no difference. We see old and young, the mature, those who don't know how to use their cell phone, the young, on all comes on servants, male and female servants, regardless of economic or social status, regardless of mental acuity, regardless of any kind of pedigree, eligible to all. In the Old Testament, God's spirit had been, been active amongst the people. We saw this in a variety of contexts through the judges and God talks to his kings and to his prophets, but his activity was sometimes enigmatic or it was sporadic, it was selective. Some ways it was sometimes external. By contrast, this articulation, this anticipation of a, of a new covenant that Joel is prophesying, the spirit will be poured out in a universal way, dwelling in God's people personally and permanently. So universal accessibility that, that Moses longed for all the way back in, in Numbers when, they, when he says to Joshua, he says, but Moses said to Joshua, would that all of the Lord's people would pro be prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Joel says through the Lord, this will come to pass. There's but one qualifier, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then centuries go by and Jesus comes. John announces him, he gets baptized. He lives this life during this epiphany time that we're talking about. The light of the world emerges and then comes Pentecost. The longing of Joel and of the prophets to see the spirit arrive shows up on Pentecost. And the spirit falls on 120 that are gathered. They're praying and the spirit of God comes upon them. Tongues of fire find themselves speaking of the works of God in, in foreign tongues and, and, and a mass gathering comes together saying, what is going on? The entire city is being disturbed. And some people are saying, hey, listen, it looks like y'all are drunk. And then Peter stands up in Acts chapter two and says this, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk. This is what's happening. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be 
God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It's happening. It happened. Joel was anticipation. The prophets were longing, and it happened on Pentecost. Peter interprets that verse and says, this is what you're witnessing, people of Jerusalem. It happened here. And so the work of the Holy Spirit continued, but even more so with new vigor and fullness following the coming of Jesus, manifesting the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. And the book of Acts chronicles this mighty explosion, the movement of the Spirit, this Spirit, God's Spirit, my Spirit, which shall be poured out on all flesh, breaks out across the world empowering the apostles and the early disciples, breaking free. So what is the fulfillment of, of Joel's prophecy looking like for us today? How is the reality of the presence and power of the spirit in God's people inaugurated at Pentecost looking like for you and for me here as we begin 2021? As I take stock of my own life, as I, as I look around, as I listen, it appears that many of us are living as functional cessationists. A cessationist is someone who's like, well, the spirit came and did some stuff early on, but then like, this doesn't apply anymore now. And oftentimes we talk about that, about gifts of tongues or even prophecy. But we're functional cessationists in some ways about all of the reality of the Spirit just doesn't apply so much anymore, at least not to me, at least not today. I mean, theologically, yes, if we're going to assent to that, but functionally, no. Now, we're comfortable with, you know, Jesus in my heart. We're okay with growing out with Jesus as long as he's contained in here. But we're less, far less, Amenable to the spirit in me who is sending and pushing the life of Jesus out into every nook and every cranny of my life, my relationships, my work, my world. So what is it? What is it about us? What is it about our life that lives that cause us to live as though this, this pouring out, which was prophesied and then was fulfilled, didn't happen, not functionally for us. I think there's two pieces. First, counter to the spirit of God, we got the spirit of I've got this. Spirit of I've got this. It's a, mark of, it's a mark of maturity. It's a mark of strength. It's a mark of honor. You see, being a self-made, self-reliant, and self-sustained individual is the American narrative of the hero. Rags to riches. She came from nothing and made something of herself. Those are the people we respect, those are the people we praise, that we aspire to become. Those are the stories we tell. Those are the movies that are made. We are, as poet William Ernest Henley said of all of us, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Who needs the spirit? Look at all that I can do 
if I just apply myself rightly and fully. And the second thing is that we trust in the spirit of I'm in control. We don't want what the spirit's gonna do if he's in charge. If he's in control, I may have visions and dreams. He may take me places I don't wanna go. He may do things I don't wanna do. He may invite me to say things I don't want to say. I wanna be in control of my life. I'm not ready to hand that over to anyone. And here's the thing, the, the pouring out of the spirit, the, the, the walking in the spirit, the, the, the living by the spirit that the apostle Paul talks about is the gift of the loss of control. It's the gift of the loss of control, a gift that we would rather not receive. <laughs> but it's precisely what happened on Pentecost. It's precisely theologically what happened in you when you placed your faith in Christ. The spirit of Christ came into you and said, I've got it from here. You just listen to me. You just lean into me. You just follow me. You just walk in step with me. You look to what I'm saying in here. You listen to what I'm saying about what God is saying and doing. And you, you just follow me and you just let me take over. And that sounds great but it's counter to every fiber of our natural being. Because what do we forfeit? What do we forfeit when we hand over to the spirit all the powers, the keys to the kingdom? Oh, I forfeit my time being my own, my, my will being mine and, and not the Lord's will. I forfeit doing what I want to do instead of doing what I see the Father doing. And I forfeit being able to provide for myself, to protect myself, to provide for myself reputation, fulfillment, significance. Transferring that over saying, God, you're going to have to be my, provi my provision, my, my reputation, my significance, my fulfillment. Here. Honestly, I believe that one of the main reasons that so many of us struggle in our walk with God is that we're trying to walk with God on our own. We're trying to be Christ followers without the spirit of Christ. Honestly, it'd be an interesting exercise to look at how we're even reading through the Bible this year, or even how maybe you decided to read through the Bible this year. Maybe you found yourself going like, okay, I'm looking at my time, my desire, my availability. It's been a minute. Other people are doing it. So you know what? I'll probably do this. That was the evaluation cue. Or maybe you're like, I look at my time, what I got going on, stage my kids, and, and I don't like reading, and so not so much. But, but, but in where, where it was the spirit, where is the sustaining, enabling power of the spirit to open and alive in the scriptures and give it to us. We look to our own resources. 
And when our internal energy doesn't come through, when we fail, when we fall short, when we peter out, we either chastise ourselves and try harder next time, or we break God for asking too much of us. So the question really just comes back to what do you really want? Like, what, what do you really want? What do we really want? And, and to be honest with it, it's a great quote I got this week um, from pastor and author John Mark Comer. I'm just going to add to it, but let's read the whole section. He says, one of our greatest flaws in the Western church is wanting the best of both worlds. We want to be really generous, but we also want to be really rich. We want character, but we don't want suffering. We want humility, but we don't want humiliation. We want patience, but we don't want to wait. We want kindness, but we don't want people in our lives who agitate us. We want to hear God's voice, but we don't make the sacrifice to carve out time to listen. We want the life of Christ, but we don't want to take up the cross of Christ. I would say we want the power of God, but we want to be in control of that power. Spirit is inconvenient. He's disruptive. Turns out he does his own thing. And that's who's inviting you to turn over the keys to his power. So he's inconvenient, yes. And he will confront us with reality, even the realities we don't want to see or live into, yes. But the, but the pouring out of the spirit that Joel talked about that happened at Pentecost and manifested itself in you when you turned over your life to Jesus was God's gift of real power for living. Not a, not a battery pack to your self-will. In case, you know, when you get really tired, you just activate that. No, the real thing, loved ones, the whole thing. What if, what if, just imagine, what if you woke up every single day, tomorrow morning, what if you'd woken up this morning and you'd walked through your day, through every moment, believing that this power was available to you? That when your spouse or your friend does something that hurts you again, that the power is available for forgiveness, for forbearance, for honesty, for courage, that it's there. Not that you have to like muster it up and, and think through your temperament and how you should do it. No, but that it's present, that it's there. That the invitation to, to grieve over that which is grievous, that the spirit would join you there and give you power to do so. The courage to speak when it's just easier to not. The wisdom to know what to do. What if we lived like it was actually there, functionally present for us? What would your life look? What would my life look like? This is what Joel promised. Ha have a vision. Young men are going to dream dreams. Old men are going to have visions. Men and women are going to prophesy. Everyone who lets the Spirit of God control them will be like this. It's going to be like it's on fire. What if we began to increasingly live and walk by the Spirit, to be yielded, to submitted, 
trusting, looking for his rescue, looking for his empowering grace, his courage, resting on his peace, living out of his patience and kindness, guarded by his faithfulness, guarded by his self-control, not your control. Do you know what this would look like? It would look like less fear in your life. Now, I know if you're a man in the room, science says you're never afraid. At least you're not allowed to admit that you're afraid. But all the things that are, let's say, anxious or stressful, the things that, you know, keep you up at night or that wake you up in the morning. This is what the Spirit does. Internally, we would be less afraid. One of the marks of being controlled and consumed by the Spirit is that we're not controlled and consumed by fear. We hear this from Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Now, he did not give you a natural will of power, of love, and of self-control. He's given you the spirit who does that. So do you want to be less afraid? Do, do you want to love more? Do you, do you want to have self-control? Well, if you began this year where I naturally begin the year, which is like, all right, back on it. Not yielded, but going like, what can I handle? I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me here. Like I've left to myself, I begin with me. And loved ones, most of us begin with us. We look at relationships. We look at our work based on what do I think I can handle? Not with what in the power of the spirit is God inviting me to step into? Those are not the same things. And the crazy thing is one is life and the other one is actually death. Do you want more power, more love, more self-control? That's what you get with the Spirit. When you woke up this morning, that was available to you. He was available to you. But externally, we would be marked by profound unity. In the event of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit created this new community of the church, which is marked by unprecedented unity. I want you to do is I want you to listen to the vision of what the Spirit does in his people when they're yielded to him. It's one of the reasons why I'm certain that these verses are here in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. So close your eyes and let's just take in a vision of what the church can look like. Luke, the author says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Does it create in you, does that, does that create in you like a, a longing? 
That's what the Spirit woke you up to live out this morning. And by the way, this is the antidote to all the polarization, all the partisanship that we've been talking about. So how do you begin from where you are right now? Some of you may have awoken this morning and you're walking in the spirit. Like the, the Lord has met you and you feel strong and stable listening to him and hearing his voice and praise God, continue to walk in the spirit. But if you don't know where to begin, if you're looking at yourself and going like, yeah, today was on me. And honestly, next week's on me too. Then let me invite you to begin again. We must begin first with our weakness. I must begin with my weakness. My I can't makes room for you must, Lord. If we begin with the math of, okay, I've got six chips, I gotta get to 10. If the Lord could supply four, we'll figure it out. No, that is not the way of the kingdom. That's not what it means to live by the spirit. That's not what it means to walk by the spirit. That's not why you have the spirit. It's looking and saying, okay, so I have no coins really. What do you wanna do, Lord? I have nothing, but you must, Lord, for everything that's coming for this day, I'm going to assume that you're going to have to provide and supply it. You're gonna to have to activate any gifts, any talents, any abilities. You're gonna to have to activate them for your good and your purposes. We must begin with our weakness. Just why through another great prophet, God says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's your mantra. That's your wake up in the morning mantra, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Loved ones, if we, if we lived a third of that in our lives, I think it would revolutionize the way we experience God, the way we relate to people, how much pain we end up experiencing from other people, the kind of power we live both to overcome sin and to be able to have impact on the people around us. Not by might, not by power, by his spirit. God said it. Let's take it for a spin. It's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter one, all the work of ministry that they're doing, he says, him we proclaim. This is all the work that God's put before them. Him we proclaim that we're warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Does that sound like a lot of work? Anyone? Sound like a lot of work? That's a lot of work. That's what, that's what Paul woke up in the morning saying, okay, here's my mission. Everyone, everything, by all wisdom. How? Verse 29. For this I toil, struggling. Sounds like Paul. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you see it? it? It's this great idea of like, there's this, there's this great work to be done and, and he's going to have to powerfully work it in you. Like, do you have great work to do for the kingdom of God? Do you have great impact to have in your family, in your community? Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. He must powerfully work it in you. And then we participate. 
When we've slid all the coins over to God and said, you're going to have to come up with all 10 coins, then God begins to move towards us and says, I'm inviting you to participate. I'm going to use you through my spirit to be able to accomplish things. Which is why he says, for this I toil. I'm struggling really, really hard to make sure that the power that's coming out of me is the one that comes from God and not from me. That's what maturity looks like. Like you want to know someone who, who smells and looks like Jesus? That's what they look like. Do, do you know, you understand that when Jesus was on the earth, he wasn't magic. The second person of the Trinity came as a man and operated by the power of the Spirit. Everything he did, he did listening, following, and empowered by the Spirit. Everything. Which is why he says he invites us to live like him by the power of the Spirit. We actively participate, yoked to Jesus, fueled by the Spirit's energy, and relying on his power. We move out into every context he's given us. You move out into the calling that he's put on your life. Which is why if God's put things on your heart in life, he will empower them. So if you're scared, it's okay. He's got all the coins. So I don't know what would be helpful for you. I don't know what mechanism helps you. If it's, if it's taking the, not by power, not by might, but by your spirit and putting it on your mirror. But like, we must begin our days. Loved ones, you must begin your days. Saying, Lord, I, I don't have it but I believe that you are full of power and you can do and accomplish everything that you purpose for me today. So I give you the keys. Now you, you take us where you wanna go and I believe you. I don't have to have fear in this. There will be power. There will be love coming out of me. I'll be self-controlled when people hurt me, when I see something online because you're gonna be doing that in me. Don't you wanna live like that? Don't you want your life to be permeated by that kind of power in life? I do, much more than I have right now. This is the invitation of Joel. This is the, the amazing thing that unfolded in Joel's making that declaration that unfolded at Pentecost. And that's precisely what invites us to the communion table. You see, this is a table, always has been a table for the people who know they don't have the power, who know they actually can't control their lives. Control is an illusion. <laughs> And communion invites us to remember that, that we had to have someone come and do it for us. It's what the good news of the gospel always has been, that those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. And this is a table for those who call upon the name of the Lord. And so today, as you come, well, as you take your communion, at home as you take your communion, I can't wait till we get to come, come forward. It'll be awesome. But for those of us who get to call upon the name of the Lord, what we're declaring is, Lord, I hand you control. I receive all that you have done as that which is my merit, and I walk out of my, into my world, into my life with your spirit and your power for me. So as you take the blood and as you, as you take the, the cup and as you remember his blood and as you take the bread and remember his body, that's what we're remem remembering. We're inviting the power of God through his spirit to have all power in our life, not only for the praise of God, but for your own good, for the good of all those he's entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, so your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And you've done so through your spirit. And so Lord, we want right now to ask 
as we come and we, we hold these elements in our hand and we, we want to ask, just as you had to do all things for us in bringing about our salvation, we call upon the name of the Lord to be rescued once again from our self-sufficiency, from a spirit of I've got this, from a spirit of I must control this, that we would surrender to you. Lord, it's so hard to surrender our lives. Spirit of God, would you invite us? Would you woo us? Would you refresh us? Lord, in, in our hearts, we, we echo the words of the old hymn, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Holy Spirit, 